up that prayer to God, and then I'm going to pray for us this morning. Uh, Lord God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, Lord, I, I think about this this week. There's a, a few things, Lord. One of the things that kind of pops up in my mind and Brittany's life is some seeming coincidences. And, uh, Lord, they don't seem very coincidental. We, we think, Lord, we see your hand of grace and mercy in these moments. And, Lord, uh, that's one way in which I could say I've seen you glorious this week, and I thank you for that. Uh, God, I pray and I just ask that you would be with us today, Lord, that you would receive the praise, the thanksgiving, the honor from your people. But then, Lord, also attend to those prayers where people are going, Lord, I, I need to see you. Lord, maybe this morning, that's, that's, that's what they were able to do through these songs. Thank you. Thank you for such a time as that we have here that, Lord, that they could uh, come and they could be reminded about your glory. Your honor, your goodness, God. Uh, Lord, maybe they're still longing to see, to see a glimpse of your glory this morning. Uh, might I uh, be faithful to your word, to the text, to the message. And might your spirit uh, breathe out. And show them a bit of your glory today, Lord. Uh, like Moses said, Lord, uh, we want to see your glory. God, we pray and we ask that you would just be with us as we go to your word. That you would, uh, you would instruct us from your word. So that we could live as uh, holy, uh, loving, uh, uh, wise, just, honorable disciples this week. And that, Lord, uh, as we go about our, our business of following your son, Jesus, uh, following his, uh, his character, following his directives, uh, that, Lord, we would be, uh, it would be good for those around us. We would be able to make disciples, Lord, uh, uh, serve our brothers and sisters and be a light in this community. Lord. And, Lord, we pray that uh, everything that we do here today and as we go, we'll bring honor and glory to you because you're the one, the only one to whom all honor and glory is due. We pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. And everybody said with me. Y'all gave me like a lot of hope this morning uh, with that amen. I'm just going to tell you all. So thank you all. Well, we're all, we're all in this together, right? So, and everybody said with me. There we go. All right, that's good. All right, so we are reading uh, and studying the book of First Peter. We're doing so. Uh, uh, Peter is addressing. He's identified the, uh, the 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 groups of people that he's talking to, uh, and they're all they're scattered throughout all of uh, Upper Asia Minor. But all these groups, these little uh, these little you know these little outposts of the kingdom, these little ecclesias, all these groups of people he's identified as chosen exiles. 
And, uh, and, 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 and so he says, hey, you're going to be living in a society and a culture where you are going to be, uh, you are an outsider. You are not on the inside track. You are outsiders in this culture, in this society, in this world. And as such, Peter, uh, as we've already picked up hints and clues along the way, Peter believes that there will be some suspicion towards them by the community at large. The community at large is going to look at these chosen exiles, and maybe because they're not worshiping the graven images, maybe because they don't have the same nationalistic zeal, or maybe because they just don't sh share the same cultural ambitions, they are going to be held in, at, at the very least, they're going to be held in suspicion. But Peter seems to think, hey, you're not just going to be held in suspicion. People are going to talk bad about you. you people are going to talk behind your back. And, and I don't know if you know this, sometimes that's just enough for us to, to give into some pressure, right? We talked about giving into the pressure of the standing ovation last Sunday, right? Um, like uh, Sometimes it's just enough that we don't want somebody talking about us that will do something that we don't necessarily want to do or maybe we'll, 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 we'll defy our own conscience or, or, or moral standards just because we don't want to be whispered about. Now, listen, I know adults always worry about this for their, for their junior high and high school kids. They talk about peer pressure for the junior high and high school kids. I want y'all to know that peer pressure never goes away. Now, I'll tell you, at some point, I know this, at some point, uh, some of us men just stop caring. Uh, they stop caring about pressure. Some of y'all have arrived at that point. I know it because we have conversations and, and, and your filter's gone now, right? You just don't care anymore. You're just like, I, 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 I cared too much and now I don't care at all. And, uh, and man, we all want to get there, don't we? We're all like looking for that moment where we just don't have to worry about the, the societal pressure. And so we can say what we want and we can, you know, we, we, can, we, we can just do as we please. And so if you've arrived at that season of your life, well done. Way to make it uh, to that point. But, but most of us, we are still operating under, this, uh, under some sort of pressure from around us. And so Peter says, at the very least, people are going to talk about you. They're going to hold you in suspicion, and they'll talk about you. They'll whisper. They'll challenge you, maybe even. Why are you doing what you're doing? And we, we, we had to put this in some like, real-world terms, too, because like, it's, it's easy just to be like, well, you know, some nameless, uh, you know, faceless people on the Internet are going to say bad things about me, and I can deal with that. No, we're talking about people who've lived in families, and, 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 and they've lived in this culture, and they've been going this way for so long. And then, um, hey, Brother Will, will you bring the, maybe just the monitors down on my channel? Uh, just a little bit, but um, I'm getting like some ringing back here. Um, but uh, uh, I was somewhere. All right, so um, um, where was I? Not caring about what people think. No, so these people would have been in this culture where the culture for years, for generations, was always going into the the, the pagan idolatrous system they were always um you know your aunts your uncles your cousins this is how y'all celebrated holidays this is how y'all got together y'all did these things together y'all y'all shared the, the 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 pagan 
um, religious system. You shared nationalistic zeal with one another. You had the same ambitions, the same hopes and dreams for your, your culture, for your society to arrive at these places. And now you're not just, it's not just some person on the, uh, you know, on the other side of the country who's saying something bad about you on the internet. It is your, it is your mom or your dad saying, why are you why are you doing this? You're destroying our family. What you're doing is tearing apart the fabric of our society. So Peter said, hey, people will either speak against you or they will challenge you, or you will even find that there will be accusations brought against you. Like, like civil court proceedings will take place because, because, You've been held in suspicion and because you seem to be disrupting cultural norms. Uh, and maybe more. Maybe it won't stop at some civil court proceedings. Maybe it won't be criminal court proceedings. Maybe there will be imprisonment. Maybe there will be fines. Maybe there will be sentencing of death. Persecution is likely to rise. If you've read through Peter, or even as we've just gotten to this point in Peter, we know that these are things that Peter has in his mind as possibilities of what's going to happen to these, these, these chosen exiles because they are not going to go with the grain of culture. They're going to be going against the grain of culture. They're not going to be going with the empire of Rome. They're going to be going against the empire of Rome in a lot of ways. They're not going to be going with the religious institutions. They're going to be going against the religious institutions. And so because they're doing this, Peter is saying, hey, there's the possibility and the probability of hard times is high. principle is so that even if people speak evil against you on the day when Jesus Christ returns, on the day of visitation, they will be among those who give honor and glory to God. That's his big principle. Live an honorable lifestyle so that you can be a light, a witness, a testimony about God's good character God's good character that's revealed in his son, Jesus. And, and his son, Jesus, lived an honorable uh, life with great character. And, and even whenever his son, Jesus, was lied about, when he was maligned, whenever he was uh, falsely accused, whenever he was sentenced to death, he did so with patience and with love and with forgiveness. He said, so you live this life, an honorable lifestyle, and even those people who might speak evil against you, they could be impacted by your life. They could see the good character of God, and they could be among those who give honor and glory to God. So now, he's applying that principle as we get to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 
And his first application of this principle is one that you and I are just going to love. He says, hey, everybody, I want you to submit to the king. And we shouldn't say king. We should say emperor here because that would be better context. I'm just going to read it for us, and uh, it's going to be on the screen. He says, uh, uh, submit yourselves to every ordinance, or we could say every institution of man for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves to every institution of man, every governing authority, every governing body for the Lord's sake. Just whether it be to the emperor, who is the supreme authority in the Roman Empire, or unto local governors. You should submit unto them that are, or, or, uh, or unto governors as unto them uh, that are sent by him. And here's the role of the, the governing authorities. They are there to punish the evildoers, and they are there to praise those who do good works. It says those uh, it, uh, who, that do well. We could say those who do good works. Right? They are due. That, that's, their, that's their role. He says, for this is the will of God. Everybody struggle with that question. What's God's will in my life? Well, here's, I, I, I don't know specifically uh, what God is going to say to you today, but I know generally this is the will of God. This is God's desire for all of us. This is God's desire. That with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And he says, and do this. Here's the condition in which you need to do this. You do this because you are free. You're not slaves to the king. You're not subservient to the emperor or to those local governors. You, you willfully submit to these governing authorities. He says, with this condition, that you are free people to do as you wish. As free people, as free, free, free citizens, if you will. And he says, but you understand that you do not use your liberty, your freedom, for a cloak of maliciousness. But you use your liberty, your freedom, as the servants of God. And if you're the servants of God, you're going to do good because that's what God does. They are a subculture and, and, and really kind of like they are, they are going against the grain of culture in their society, uh, against the norms. Uh, and, and so Peter says, hey, there could be hard times coming your way. And then when he begins to apply this principle that they live honorable lifestyles, he wants to reveal to them, hey, there's another, there's another option on the table. There's another option on the table. And the other option is this. The other option is that... Uh, you could be seen as a force of good in this society. Yes, you're different. Yes, it's going to raise suspicions. Yes, your mom's going to be mad because you don't go down to the pagan feast anymore. And you're going to have to face some, 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 some ostracizing, some, some marginalization, some whatever. You're going to have to face this. 
But there's something else that you as a community can do. You could be seen as a force for good in your culture, in your society. And how are you going to be seen as a force for good? By doing good works. Right? How are you going to be seen as a force for good? By doing good works. So this is Peter's hope. That by well-doing, they may put to silence the ignorance of evil or foolish men. By doing good, by doing good works, you will, uh, you will uh, reveal that those who are speaking about you in hushed whispers, those who are challenging you, those who are accusing you, they have, they, the egg is on their face, it's not on yours. He has an Old Testament example that I think is probably one of the things that's running through his mind. There's a, a wonderful story in the Old Testament in the book of Esther about this man named uh, Mordecai who did good for the emperor, for the king. See, Mordecai one day, uh, he, he did good. He heard that there was a plot against the king's life. And Mordecai went and made sure that the king knew that there was a plot against his life. Well, Mordecai's story is a little complex because while Mordecai did good for the king, there was this nobleman in the king's court named Haman who Mordecai did not like. Haman seemed to be an arrogant, uh, pompous, and malicious jerk, and, uh, and Mordecai could see through it, and, and everybody would bow before Haman and give him honor, and Mordecai said, I'm not bowing before Haman. I'm not giving this guy honor. He doesn't deserve honor. And Haman got the stink eye for Mordecai. And I just was a poet, right? Uh, he got a stinky eye for Mordecai. And he, 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 he started, <laughs> y'all, please, I'm so stupid. Um, but Haman started working and plotting against Mordecai's life and against the life of Mordecai's people, the Jews. And Haman had the ear of the king. You know, emperors, kings, uh, leaders of any sort, sometimes they are, they are blind to the ones who are the problems. And they bring those people in real close. And, he, and, 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 and the emperor was blind to the fact that Haman was problematic. That his ambitions, his pride, his narcissism was, uh, was, was, was so great that everything that he was trying to do was not for the good of the king or the kingdom, but everything that he was trying to do was for his own selfish, vain ambition. And so uh, the king and Haman, they have these meetings, and, uh, and, and, and Haman uh, works it out to where he could get the king to issue a decree that uh, on a certain day that all the Jews in the kingdom... All the Hebrews would be, uh, could be uh, hunted down and killed. And uh, the, the law of the Medes and the Persians, well, any edict or decrees could not be overturned. So he got this law on the books, and, uh, and, and, and then he, he further has this desire to build this high, high, high gallow, these gallows in which he will hang Mordecai from these gallows. 
and it will be this great show of, of uh, it, it will be just this great act of vengeance that Haman has against Mordecai. Well, one night the king can't sleep. And the king is sitting there tossing and turning in his bed. Um, and this reminds me we need to be praying for Miss Felisa. She's been having trouble sleeping. That's why she's not here this morning. And we need to be praying that uh, they can get that lined out. Uh, but if you've ever spent a night tossing and turning in your bed, you know it's not fun. Uh, you know, a good way to get to go to bed is that you pick up a book. Sometimes you pick up, pick up the Bible. You go, oh, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And I can promise you, you will be right back to sleep nine times out of ten. But he picked up the annals of the kingdom, and he began to read through the annals of the kingdom, and he came across this, this, this good thing that Mordecai had done. He remembered that Mordecai had uh, uncovered the plot, the assassination plot against his life. And he asked, he asked his servants around him, he said, did any good thing ever happen to this guy Mordecai? And they said, no, there was no honor given to him, there was no celebration. He said, well, that, something has to be done about that. So then the king calls in Haman, and he says, Haman, I need to ask you a question. What would you do? To honor somebody who deserves like the highest honors in the kingdom. And Haman, being so pompous and so arrogant, thought, he must be talking about me. Because I'm a pretty swell guy and I deserve the highest honors in the kingdom. It's a great, I mean, if you don't like scripture, that's, you, that's a you problem. That's not scripture's problem. Scripture has wonderful, beautiful narratives in it. Such rich irony. I mean, this would be so funny were it not so sad. But Haman thought, I'm something, aren't I? Let me, and he, he, he proposes this preposterous, you know, like the pomp and circumstance because he thinks he's going to be the one honored. And he says, oh, this is what you should do. You should, you should put him royal robes on him. You should have him march through the street on the king's stallion. And you should have a, a crier go out before him telling everybody how wonderful he is and how they should give him honor. And the king says, that sounds so good. You are so right. He says, go get Mordecai and put robes on him. And put him on my steed. And you go and you lead that horse through the streets of our city. And you be the crier telling everybody all the great things that Mordecai has done. This is Mordecai who would not bow before Haman. And now Haman is having to go and parade him through the streets honoring him. A little bit more to the story. Because... Uh, Queen Esther stood up in a very brave act and, uh, and told the king about her Hebrew uh, nationality or ethnicity and, uh, and, and, the, and, and how uh, Haman's uh, decree was going to uh, put her and her people at risk. Uh, the king said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put Haman to death. And Haman hung on the gallows that he had erected for Mordecai. How do we put silence, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people? Peter thinks, well, I know how Mordecai did it. Mordecai did it 
this exile, living in Persia, he did it by doing a good thing for the king. And so he tells his chosen exiles that he's writing to scattered throughout Upper Asia Minor. Yes, there will be suspicion against you. Yes, there will be whispers. There will be challenges. There will be accusations. But you put them to silence by doing good. You put them to silence by doing good. Do good works in your community. There are a lot of people who today know that the church is under attack, that the way of Christ is under attack. Um, some people think that this is a new thing. Some people, uh, a lot of us actually probably think, man, what happened? The church was welcomed here and now it's not. No, it's always been under attack. I think we were probably blind to it. And we also, and also the church was probably complicit in a lot of things that we shouldn't have been complicit in. When you have Baptist pastors in, in, uh, in the South arguing and contending, or at least just being quiet about the institution of slavery, you're complicit. So, this world has always been against the church. But sometimes the church has found itself complicit, and so it seems like the world isn't against it. But here recently, I know that a lot of people are, are seeing probably more clearly that the principalities and the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world are against us. And it takes shape through human governments and human institutions as well. And so, as we talked about us being chosen exiles here in America, where you once felt that you were at home in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that Christians were welcomed here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Now you're going, well, we're not welcome here anymore. And so what are we going to do? You know, some Christians, uh, in the name of doing good, blew up abortion clinics. That's not doing good, is it? That's not submitting uh, to the authorities. Uh, but you know, some Christians, some Christians, uh, in submission to the authorities, still uh, did not comply. They defied orders. In fact, that's how we had the woman's suffrage movement uh, has helped move to where hey, women could vote. Uh, you had Christians who were leading the cause on, on, on the fact that we should have a compulsory education in our society. Sorry, students. But guess what? We're all a little bit better for it. Uh, it was Christians who led uh, non-violent uh, uh, protest in the civil rights movement. This is how we can do good for our society. We don't do good for our society.
by choosing the tactics of the culture. The tactics of the Churches came together. Our whole communities were, were infiltrated by people who were going out, not just in the name of neighborliness, although that would be enough, wouldn't it? But in the name of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the one who gave himself for me, for us, they were going out house to house, and helping beleaguered individuals who had just seen all of their life possessions devastated and ruined. And they were helping them pick up the pieces. That's awesome. That's doing good for our society. Now, I do want to give us a, a, a couple of a considerations for rules of engagement. When we come to this text, we have to understand that we are a million years away from the context that they were, that they were living under. They lived under a Roman dictator, um, and they, the, the people that uh, Peter is addressing, they were not citizens of Rome. And so if you are a non-Roman citizen living in, uh, uh, in, in Roman Empire, uh, that, didn't mean, that means you didn't have the rights as a citizen, but you were still under the rule of the emperor. And so when Peter says to them, hey, submission is probably the best course of action for them, that's because they didn't have the options that you and I have to engage in a uh, democratic republic like you and I are able to do. So we do need to understand that there are some differences in the rules of engagement. Uh, you and I have the right to speak our mind. We have the right to, uh, to, 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 to organize an event where we, can, where we can protest certain things without the fear of being imprisoned or beat up or pummeled by, our, uh, by the authorities. We have these rights that they did not have. So we understand that, but I would say the general principle needs to be pressed. And the principle is that you and I living honest, genuine, honorable lifestyles, that through our good that we do, we are a light and a transformative voice so that even those people who speak evil against us, on the day that Jesus Christ returns, they will be among those who are giving glory to God. And I think just as we, as we are going to wrap up this morning, we get the principle that you and I uh, bring people to silence and we shame them not by 
silencing them and shaming them. But you and I uh, bring people to silence and shame by doing good works, even to those who would do evil to us. And I will say, if you want to know about the glory of God, that is the glory of God. He has only ever done good to us. And from our perspective, who don't deserve his good to be done to us. That's the glory of God. That's the beauty of his character. I have deeply hurt and offended people. And yet I still have breath in my lungs. And whenever I say I deeply hurt and offended people and I still have breath in my lungs, I mean I deeply hurt and offended somebody that God created and loves with an everlasting love. Because he created them and because he loves them. Not because of any other caveat that you could put on there. But because they are his. And every last one of us who are on this planet are his creation. And he loves his creation. He doesn't just love his creation who recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord. He loves his creation. Before his creation ever recognizes that Jesus Christ is Lord, he loves his creation. That is what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5. While we were yet in our sins, before we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, God loved us. The glory of our God, the beauty of our maker, is that he loves us even when we hurt one another, even when we defy him, even when we ignore him. He loves us. And you and I are now in the privileged position of understanding this love. Not because he browbeat us. But because you understood. Even though I don't deserve your love, you still love me. Wow, God. Thank you. It was through his goodness of sending his son, Jesus. And his son Jesus laying down his life on the cross of Calvary and offering it up for you and for me to know that God loves us with an everlasting love. It was through this good act. And, 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 and on the third day, God saying, you didn't want my son, but I'm giving my son back to you. God raising him to new life. God giving us the king that we don't deserve, but we desperately need. It was through God's goodness that you and I have been brought to repentance, to transformation. That's how you and I got to this place where we could accept that he will, really will forgive us. He really, really, really does put all of our wrongs as far as the east is from the west. Every time we come to him, every 
time. And it could have been five minutes ago. And you come back to him and you say, God, please forgive me. And he says, yeah, you know what? I will. Because that is who he is. We want to know about the glory of God. The glory of God is his goodness. And it's his good works for us. And if we're going to testify of the glory of God. Then you and I will follow his will. And his will is that by doing good, by doing good works, doing good things for others, even or even especially for those who you do not think deserve good to be done towards them. That's how we will bring this world to a posture and a position of silence and, and not not condemning shame, not deadly shame, but godly shame. And godly shame, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, always leads to repentance. I will promise you this. Our world right now is trying to operate in silencing and shaming everything that they think needs to be silenced and shamed, and they are doing it overtly. You and I, who are the children of the Most High God, you and I, who are living as chosen exiles, you and I are called not to put them to silence and shame through, uh, <laughs> through the tactics of this world. You and I are called to bring them to silence and shame, which will bring them to repentance, is our hope through good works. So my brothers and my sisters, might we go from this place doing good, doing good. And if you don't know what good is in that situation, then you stop and you say, God, I'm either going to do nothing or I'm going to do good. And I'm going to listen for your spirit to show me the good path forward. But you and I, let's go from this place doing good. And through that, this beautiful institution, this bride of Christ, this, this thing that Jesus loved so much that he gave his life for it. The ecclesia of the church will not be brought to shame and disgrace in this world, but this beautiful institution will be raised up and even praised by the, by the hostile governors and principalities and powers because as much as they have the authority to punish evil, they have the authority to bring honor to that which is good. So my brothers and my sisters, if we want the church to shine, let's go doing good this week. And with that I say, amen. Will you bow your heads? And